Welcome to Match Point Number Nine, a tennis bets podcast. I am your host, David EJ Berger. You can find me at Carl Jr. on Twitter. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis. We're here to talk tennis, specifically, we're here to talk about gambling on tennis, and we're very excited to do so. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. What's up, everyone? We're all back here, and uh, we got a guest today. Um, the board's been rocking, and let's just talk some tennis. Yeah, very exciting. The whole point of this podcast is to provide actionable information, and as we're 10 episodes deep, this actually might be the most actionable information because we brought on a ringer, all right? We got the one, the only, Kale Hammond. You can find him at Kale underscore Hammond on Twitter. He's one of the best tennis writers out there. You know his work from Tennis.com, Tennis Channel. Most importantly, Tennis Bets. If you're on Tennis Twitter, you're quite familiar with Kale. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And uh, no, no more Tennis Channel for, uh, for me. I'm finishing out the year writing some stuff, but uh, I'm on my own now. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, give him a follow to know what he's doing next because uh, the guy's given out winning plays left and right. Uh, he's also just a fun person to engage with on Twitter. I think we're all here because we want to grow not only tennis, but, uh, you know, normalized gambling on tennis as well. And yeah, just have some fun, grow the community. Um, so, all right. Well, how this usually works is we like to talk about the tennis that was, and then talk about the tennis that will be. But first, since we have uh, a man of your esteem in the wagering arena. I thought we'd do some general tennis talk, some tennis wagering talk to uh, kind of pick your brain and get uh, the inside scoop on, on how you look at plays, where you're coming from as a better and, and just understand your strategy more. I think that a lot of people would really appreciate your take on these things. Yeah, absolutely. Ask me anything. So I'm excited. All right, great. Well, um, First and foremost, Kale, I would love to know what are your preferred ways to play and why? Are you a game spread guy, totals, money line only? Give us some insights on, on how you kind of view the board in terms of your favorite yeah, players. Yeah, in, in that regard, I'm definitely typically, you know, uh, money line if it's not too rich and then game spreads. I think game spreads are, are, are phenomenal. Um you know, especially if you if you're getting the right ones. I think game spreads and um and, you know, money lines, underdog, like small underdog money lines are great as well. But, you know, totals, I've been doing this for a while now. And totals are just, it just seems like a coin flip. You know, you get these matches that you're just destined to be, you know, over 22 and a half games. And then you'll get a seven, six, six, three, and then you lose. And it's just like, like after the seven, six, you know, you're feeling so good. And then the guy gets an early break and it's just, it's just tough. I totals are total. I'm not a fan of totals at all, at all. And same with like set spread betting, you know, anything, anything too much pre-match for me, honestly, is, is not the way to go. Um, I'm almost exclusively live betting just because, you know, I played the game at a decently high level and I know a lot of the players and, you know, they really do matches have have a, a flow to them, a predictable flow to them. And you know, I think I think if you can watch a few games, don't tie yourself to a pick too early, and then make a play, um, then I think that's by far the best way to go. But that requires you know that you be watching all the streams and monitoring all the live scores, and it's extremely time consuming, and not everyone can do it. But if you're trying to actually make money, you know, on a daily, weekly basis, you got it. You got to be doing a lot of live. Yeah, you definitely want to be a part of a book that has in play. Uh, Kale, you mentioned uh, your background. Um, could you talk about that a little bit more? Where did you, you, you are a former player or current player, I should say, you still play tennis, obviously. But, yeah, uh, yes, yeah. Um, tell us about your background. Yeah, no, I grew up, I was, I was good at all sports growing up. Um, basketball and tennis were the two ones. I played football for a while until high school. I got hit a couple times and I was like, this is fucking stupid. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. Tennis players are usually pretty soft in general. So then, I, you know, I switched full-time because basketball, tennis, and I, ha I had to, you know, make a decision because all these tennis players that were, you know, top five, top ten in the country, none of them really, none of them played other other sports. J.J. Wolf's an exception. He is a great multi-sport athlete. But, like, you got guys, you know, 
when I was growing up, it was Jack Sock, Dennis Kudla, Tennis Sandgren. Um, they were the top dogs and they were, you know, they full-time, full-time tennis all the time. And so switched to tennis full-time, you know, started playing national tournaments 14. And then every year just got better. Ranking went up, 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 up. And then it finally capped out around like, you know, 2025 in the 18s. And I was getting some good looks, had some good wins, and then played college tennis at Duke. It was, it was great experience. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't recommend, you know, for younger players, if any play, current younger players are listening to go, go someplace you could play, man. Like, cause Duke's team was amazing. We were the number one recruiting class in the country, but like, you know, cracking the, if you're playing, you know, six, seven, five, six, and you know, you lose a couple matches and you're yanked. It's, it's does really scary things to your confidence if you're mentally weak like me. So, um, so yeah, and I played, played, you know, and I ended up having a decent career there, mostly in doubles. But, um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. But the main thing, I grew up playing with all these guys. And I wasn't, you know, I knew I wasn't the best player, but I understood the game well enough to know who was the best player. And so I made sure to, you know, attach myself to them, become friends with them, Kudla, Sock, guys like that. So, so I, you know, I really want to be a part of that. Because I saw that, like Dennis Kudla, you know, when he was, when he was, when we were both 17, like this guy was top, top 150 in the world but just like it was a different level and so i was really fascinated by those guys who were just so spectacular kudla had a pretty good uh summer especially on the the hardcore and the he's the they call him the grassassin i believe yeah uh, <laughs> um but um that's a great background so you know this guy knows his stuff and um I wanted to ask you, his name is Tennis Sangren. Did he really have a choice in what he was going to do? Dude, my <laughs> first national tournament ever. We're going, and I see, you know, you always, if you're, you know, you're not that great like me, you always want to go watch the number one seed. The see number one seed's name is Tennis. I get to my first national tournament, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I am so screwed. This guy's name is Tennis. I have no chance. And he was amazing. So it was pretty it was pretty funny seeing that. I was a little intimidated by the name. Well, he's a podcast favorite, uh, quite the character on tour. Um, all right, well, let's keep moving here, Kale. Uh, our next question for our general tennis wager talk, which surface do you think is easier to handicap slash prognosticate and why? I think that it depends on, you know, what you grow up playing on. If you're a former player and you like tennis betting or if you just have a better understanding clay how that works with so many breaks and so many different momentum swings but for me it's no question and it's a quick surface whether that be grass or a quick indoor hardcore or a quick outdoor hardcore you know where it's not too windy anytime you have conditions wind cold you know weather delays it's unpredictable but you get good still you know indoor conditions and on a quick court it, it, it you know you really can't hide on a quick court, you know, you, you, the better player almost always wins unless they're just, you know, get served off the court, you know, on, on a quick court. So by far for me, Wimbledon's the best U S opens close. And then, you know, the, the indoor hard court swing, I think is pretty good. What would you say are the biggest edges you're looking for when you're looking at the slate? Do you like a big server? Do you like someone who's better at the baseline? Is there a qu- quintessential mismatch? Yeah. For? Yeah, I think if you're going pre-match and you're looking to take like a small spread or a money line, um, one thing I really like is uh, like if you know there's going to be a big like free, free point disparity. So if you get a guy like uh, Chilich versus Barankis a couple weeks ago was a great example. I think the spread is three and a half. And I felt comfortable giving that play out and betting a lot on that play just because look like, yeah, there's pro tennis. Anyone can beat anyone, but you know for a fact that Chilich is going to get 15 to 20 more free points on serve. And so I think that's a good, a good place to start. You know, if, you know, if, if, if one person's going to get just tons more free points, those things add up. Like if you're playing and you know that you're comfortable on serve and you can take big cuts on the return games, just like Chilich Barankas, I think that's, that's a pretty good, a pretty good place to start. Um, And also matchups too, like understanding who matches up well, like, Malfi is a great example of when Gail Malfi plays someone who, you know, is pretty one dimensional, who just rips to the corners. Same as Varev. If, if they play, those are just instinctual retrievers and they're incredible range and they hit incredible shots on the run. 
And if they're playing a guy just ripping into the corners, you know, they're going to be comfortable. They're not going to, but when you get a guy like, you know, Gilles Simone playing guy on Malfi, Simone's got a great record against Malfi because he just bores him to death. And same thing what Djokovic does to Malfi too, like 17 and 0. Like Djokovic is amazing, don't get me wrong, but he shouldn't be 17 and 0 against Gael Malfi. But he's just not going to miss. He's going to make Gael make important decisions every game and things like that, where you know the matchup is good for a for a certain player based on their you know based on their play style. Yeah, what do you look for like specifically? Like, do you look for some sort of like? Um, mismatch between like backhands and forehands or lefties or big serves or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, like Djokovic versus Berrettini is a great example because they played so many high profile matches. Like that yeah. one for me, I've written so many in depth articles on this specific matchup, and it's like there's nothing Mateo can do against Djokovic. Because You're talking like his backhand? Yeah, as soon as he gets pace one backhand cross court, Berrettini's going to slice it. Novak runs around and then he's just got him on a string the entire match. And, you know, Berrettini's biggest weapon is his serve. But Djokovic is the greatest returner of all time. And like Berrettini played fantastic in every single match they played. Wimbledon, French Open, U.S. Open. Berrettini played really well and he didn't cover his spread in any of them. Mm -hmm. So it's things like that. I mean, that's that's a perfect example for me of just like, you know, best backhand of all time, best return of all time versus a cute guy who relies on his serve and forehand. And as soon as Djokovic gets that one backhand cross, you know, it's, it's up to him. You know, he's in control of the point immediately. I, I'm loving this, Kale. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. Um, let's keep it going. Um, what, what are your biggest lessons learned this year from wagering? Yeah, by far, by far, my biggest, le- this is a painful, painful lesson. And this, this, this specific lesson cost me probably 20, 30, 40 grand in profit this year. And that was just, don't ever overexpose yourself to a single match. Like no matter how passionate you are about the certain pick, like you just never, ever know. And this is another lesson too. A lot of people disagree with me. Because the first rounds of tournaments, you get a lot of great value because they're coming in fresh to a new event. There's, you know, 16 matches to choose from. And they are right. The value is best in before the bookmakers themselves have a chance to watch and analyze the data in the first rounds. But for me, when I'm looking at my balance for the week, it's almost always, you know, Monday, Tuesday in the red. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, heavy, heavy, heavy profit. And then Friday, Saturday, you know, maybe a little bit, maybe winning, maybe losing because, you know, once, you know, they've had, once they've seen what you've seen too, like, you know, you're, it's not, it's hard to find an edge, but just not like, don't bet too much in the beginning because as a former player traveling around, you, you never, ever, ever know how someone's feeling week to week you you know you i think you have to sort of see them play um if you're trying to make bigger bets because give you an example last week like i i was having a fantastic week and i had a lot of money to play with you know and i was feeling pretty confident that yannick sinner was going to teach carlos alcaraz a lesson on indoor hardcore because alcaraz beat him on clay in a challenger and sinner was playing some of the best ball of his life and so I was just way, way overexposed to that match. And, you know, next thing you know, Yannick Sinner makes 49 unforced errors in a two-set match. I would argue he played the worst match of his pro career. And he lost in straights to Alcaraz. Every time Sinner went hard middle, just, just simple, down the middle, rip balls, quick, he won the point. But he seemed determined to beat Alcaraz in a flashy manner, you know, going for those crazy big shots. And, I mean, he made 49 unforced errors in two sets. And it's just, it was – he missed every other ball. I was just – and I was so overexposed. I was watching this. just like, what is happening? And so then I cut – ate into all my profit from what would have been a phenomenal week. And I was just too overexposed. So that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, you, you, you never know. Um, if someone's just going to come out flat and play the worst match of their life, you never know if they're sick. You never know if they hurt. I talked to Riley Opelka one time 
he, you know, he, he got off a, a, like took a bus. They had to take 30 minute bus to the, from the site to the hotel back and forth. And he just said, you know, he sat on the bus a wrong way and, you know, there was bumpy ride. And like, next thing you know, he couldn't, he couldn't walk. So like, just things like that, you know, just like, don't overexpose yourself in the first round. And, and even if you're extremely 90, 95% confident, don't overexpose yourself, um, you know, to a single match ever. But, you know, that's, I'm still learning that lesson. You know, it's still a tough one because, you know, when you get hot, you start thinking, you know, a little more than you do. Um, and then it has a really, tennis has a really good way of, you know, humbling you. Oh, it humbles you uh, <laughs> quite easy and often, uh, you know, you, you, you got the five uh, green check marks on the picks uh, the one day and then <laughs> the five red X's the next. You know, Andy Murray right now, like, you know, I had, I took him minus five and a half. I was like, all right, he should beat the crap out of this guy. He wins the first at six ones. And I'm like, okay, six one feeling pretty good. I take minus two and a half for like plus plus one forty. I thought that was great. Smaller than the initial bet. But now, you know, he, he had like eight break points and was up a break and now it's back on serve. So it's just like, you know, the initial bet was good enough, but I got once again, get greedy, try and, you know, max, you know, get more profit because it's the bet's looking great. And then all of a sudden, you know, Andy Murray could, could lose this match. You never know. I didn't realize the match had turned like that. Yeah. I saw he was smoking in the first set. Exactly. Yeah. Just stick uh, to the initial bet and it and, and just 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 take the profit. You know, if you have if you have a chance to take the profit, just do it. Awesome stuff, Derek. Uh, do you have uh, any uh, any more questions? Yeah, I was just thinking about back to what you're just saying about Murray right there. Like, do you ever try to uh, predict like when the match is going to tilt the other way? I don't think you unless you see something. You know, you're never going to try and do it like randomly, but. Um, I'll be looking for, for, for something with TFO today. He, I believe he plays Pedro Martinez and Pedro Martinez was kind of hurting toward the end of his win. So he could come out flat, but TFO admitted, you know, in the interview that he's like, I'm, I'm tired, man. And he, mm-hmm. and he had, he, he was ready to lose to uh, Yimmer yeah. yesterday. He was ready to lose, but Yimmer just wasn't good enough. And, and he won, you know, six and four. And so, yeah, I will definitely look to do that, but more more so, I'll look to do that if I if my initial bet is winning, and then you have a player and you can just get great odds because I as much as I'm betting with the live stuff, and people will argue against me about hedging all the time, but if you have enough volume in your trading and your betting, there's nothing wrong with taking a plus six hundred just to cover your initial bet, mm-hmm. you know, and then just take it and then just turn it off do something else, you know, go, go stretch, do yoga or something. And like, just, just, just take the profit, your guaranteed profit. So just take it, you know, I think, and if you're doing it enough, that will make up for what you lose, um, you know, by making the hedges. Yeah. Emer uh, suffers from a fault in this game where he can't return. I think uh, that <laughs> if, if he could, if he could only get it accurately over the net, he would be yeah, a lot better. Yeah, he does. I, he had a pretty good summer though. Uh, he, he had some surprise winners. Uh, I mean, Mikael is great. Is he's he's a tough guy, but but uh, Elias is is no bueno. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Um. Kale, what we like to do? We like to look back at the tennis that was to to, you know, heed some lessons uh, moving forward. So let's. We haven't been on the podcast, Mike, since uh, before Indian Wells. So let's talk about October real quick. Indian Wells. Cam Nori beats Nico Bazalaj. Derek, you might handle the saying that better than me. Nico. I just want to hear Kale just give this one a go. Bazalaj <laughs> Billy. Yeah, okay. That's how I say it. All right. Or we uh, either both say it right or wrong. So we'll yeah. spell Bazalaj Billy. Are you buying into Cam Nori looking ahead to 2022 as a player to tail or fade? Yeah, this is a great question for me specifically because. Um, First of all, I, I, you know, it depends on his odds. It depends how they price him. Because even though he was winning 50 matches, you know, they still didn't give him that kind of respect. And, and people, I know some people who were just all in on Cam Nori and they had a phenomenal year simply because of Cam Nori. Um, but for me, it's interesting. Like, I'll probably be looking to fade a little bit, but knowing his work ethic and now that he has that belief, and that his work ethic translated into millions and millions of dollars in a top 15 ranking. 
you know, maybe just wait and see, see the odds. Um, but for that specific player, I was at a, a shoot for Tennis Channel at IMG Academy in 2019. And uh, the focus was on Nishikori. And Nishikori played Cam Norrie in a practice match that day. And I watched the whole thing. And Cam Norrie beat him one and one in like an hour in 2019. And I was like, oh, my God, like Cam Norrie is this good. And so I was ready. I was telling my friends, like, Norrie's going to have a great year. And then he makes the final of Auckland in 2019, and I was betting him all the way. And so I had made money on him that way, and then um, I thought it was happening. And then so I rode Cam Norrie for, like, almost a couple months, and then he ends up going, like, five and eight in his next five tournaments, and I ended up losing money on him. So then I just backed off, and then I was hesitant to jump back in the flames because, you know, I was too early on Cam Norrie, and it cost me money. And so I was just like, oh, God, like this. I know how this goes, Cam. And then, you know, he didn't lose a match for a while. So so for me, I, I clearly don't have that great a read on him. Um, but if he has like a matchup advantage, like Dimitrov on that slow court, it's like, you you know, that was the easiest pick of the year. Like it's a pick him and he's playing a guy with a one-handed backhand on a slow court when no one can hit a winner. And Cam is not missing. He's getting to everything. So. You know, it all it all depends on the odds. Well, he's going to be starting up the the new year on on outdoor hardcore where he's had some success uh, to to end this year. So he he might keep that train moving. And I agree with you; the odds will uh, factor in heavy into your tail or fade tail or fade decision. But it seems like the the books, yeah, they don't they they, they haven't uh, anointed him uh, with with his level of play as of nope. yet. No, nope, not quite. And then what about Nico? Nico has been a gambler's dream all year. Is this, uh, you know, a flash in the pan 2021? Are I mean, at looking- one point, at one point he lost like, like nine matches in a row and I was betting against him every time. So it was hard for me to sort of jump back on that train, but he's a perfect example of the conditions. You know, if, if he gets a super slow court like Indian Wells and like he has time to wind up those just gigantic strokes, He's he's amazing because you know he hits the ball harder than anyone on tour, and he was he and Taylor Fritz were the only two people and who could actually hit through that whatever the hell that was in Indian Wells, and so I think the conditions are huge for him. And you also got to just like he's a great guy to bet live too because like if you see him focused and engaged and he's so stoic in the way he plays. And he's looking focused and calm and not, you know, reacting poorly. But it's like if that guy's reacting poorly and showing negative body language, you just bet against him because, you know, he plays his best when there's zero emotion. And if he's showing negative emotion, there's something he might not want to be there that day. What do you think about his Paris Masters dump? He lost early to. I think he's ready. I think he made a ton of money this year. Um, and he's got obviously off the court issues he's got to deal with. Yeah. So I think, I think, and that's why the end of the year is so tough to bet just because, you know, a lot of these players are just ready to go home. End of the year is, is typically, you know, not too positive for most tennis bettors. Yeah. Do you find some sort of betting edge with that? I mean, only if you, you know, know certain players and how they operate, you know, I think there's absolutely edges to be had, but I don't think, you know, I think it's pretty tough to, uh, to determine, you know, who wants to be there and who doesn't want to be there. I do think Francis Tiafo is going to lose in the next couple rounds, though. Uh, do you think on, that's yeah? Do you think that's based on fatigue or? I think absolutely based on fatigue. You know, traveling around and and any and also like Americans in Europe typically don't do that well. I mean, I've got a good bet on Taylor Fritz today, just because like he's so much better from the ground than Grasimov. But like Grasimov serves seventy percent. It's going to be a tiebreak, so it's tricky. Um, but yeah, I mean. There's, there's definitely edges to be had, but like you, you really sort of have to have a feel on who's starting to fade and, you know, who, who really wants, you know, the, the year to be over, which is right. tough. It's tough to find without, you know, without inside information, you know, who's you watch the matches, look at their body language, but still, you know, you can win a match with bad body language. Uh, Francis, a good pivot point to the rest of the tournaments in October, ATP Moscow, Antwerp, Vienna, and St. Petersburg. Let's lump them all together since they shared a lot of similar storylines. Andy Murray and Francis played one of the matches of the year in Antwerp. Both have proven to be tough outs 
seem to be trending up, uh, maybe not as they, you know, to finish the year, but uh, overall as players, Murray battling his way back into form. What do you think about Andy Murray and Tiafo? Are, are we fading? I think they're both absolutely nightmares to bet, and I don't think you should bet on them. I really don't. Like, I, I, Tiafo is just like, I mean, you can't, you can't predict Tiafo. You can't even don't get out of here if you say you can, you know, you have a feel on TFO. Like, yeah, he's he's awesome, you know, he's got you know underdogs in certain certain spots, but then you know, like I bet a lot on him to beat Pospisil at Wimbledon, he wins straights, and then I'm like, oh sweet, Francis has got it. He's got it, he's gonna beat Kachanov, Kachanov with the Western grip on the grass courts, no bueno, and then he Kachanov beats him in straights. It's just like you and I, I grew up playing with Francis TFO at uh, the JTCC. I was there for a year when I was like 17, he was like 12 and he's, he's an, he's an amazing, amazing talent. And he loves it. And I think his whole rise and fall was actually predictable from a long term out of the box perspective, knowing how he grew up and the hardships that he faced. And then he makes succeeds on the ATP tour wins millions of dollars, you know, quarterfinals, Grand Slam, buys his parents a house. He's traveling with his coach, who's also his good buddy. And he had some horrific results for so long. And then now I think he's got the new coach and now he's coming back. So that whole thing I could, I could sort of see from far out, but from a match-to-match basis, it's, it's really – you really shouldn't bet on TFO. I have a general rule if he's uh, a three or four dollar favorite to bet the over because he's probably going to drop a set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he Absolutely. should not be that big of a favorite. Um, yeah. Marin Cilic, he had his best month. Uh, he won St. Petersburg again. He went deep in all tournaments this month. Uh, are you surprised by his run? You mentioned earlier he got a lot of easy points in a few matches, uh, but he's been pretty uneven all year. What are we to make of this blip on, on the Cilic radar? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he's going to be back for a little while as long as he's moving well, and you know, he can get to a few extra balls each point. Um, he he said in an interview, and, and I can't remember, he was having, he was in a big slump, and it was a couple, maybe a year and a half ago. He said in an interview, he's like, I believe, I know that my best level is in front of me. Like, I know this, I I know it's there. I know I can do better. And I didn't believe him at all when I read. It. I thought he was delusional, but clearly he, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So I think if players you know, say those types of things and you're reading into the transcripts and you're paying attention, I, I would tend to believe, to, to believe them, you know, like guy like him, he's such a veteran. Like he, he, he sort of knows same with Murray. Murray knew too. Like Murray knew he, this is, it wasn't going to be like this forever. And now he's, you know, he's playing well. Taylor Fritz. We mentioned him already. He did pretty well at Indian Wells. You mentioned he was able to hit through the court. Uh, he's been hitting through all the courts this month. Yeah. Uh, deep runs. St. Petersburg, he goes deep in Paris. Uh, any thoughts on Taylor Fritz? Uh, we we like to call him um, the, the the Poke Bowl because it seems like no matter what happens, he, he's probably got a nice fresh Poke Bowl waiting for him after the match, so he can't get too upset. <laughs> um, yeah. What he, what what are your thoughts on? Um, I think Fritz? he's look. I think he found it, and I think he's you know he's got a good chance to win Stockholm, and we'll see what happens. But um, he had that meniscus injury. And then he comes back, surprises everyone with that deep run at Wimbledon. And then everyone's like, oh, my God, what a miraculous recovery. He's back. Well, no, he actually wasn't back. You know, he was still – he just had a couple good matches. And grass is perfect for his game. And so then he goes back to the hard courts, has a couple good results, and then he has some really bad results. And I was betting him, and he lost. And I was like, I don't know if I can bet Taylor Fritz anymore. And then you see I was big on center against him at Indian Wells – and I had a lot on Sinner, and I was watching that match in person, and Sinner got up 4-2, and Taylor Fritz won eight games in a row on Yannick Sinner, who was actually playing, like, fantastic tennis. And after I saw that, like, the level that he was able to achieve for eight games, I just said, well, you know what, he's, he, he's amazing. Like, he, you know, it's not going to be there every week, but when it's there – I mean, what he can do from both wings is incredible. And also what Djokovic did to neutralize him was also equally incredible. I mean, Taylor Fritz didn't play that well, but like just, just the, just the, the IQ that Djokovic has got with these guys. is just, I mean, I thought four and a half was like Taylor Fritz four and a half, like, God, he's going to, he's got to cover that Djokovic rusty. And then Djokovic wins four and three. And it's just like, Jesus, like that guy's so, so good. at so many different things. You know, and Taylor Fritz didn't play well, but 
you know, it's tough to play well against Djokovic. Yeah, he's only the goat. Uh, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> uh, Derek, do you have anything on uh, Fritz? I think it's just like what Kale's saying. It's like you kind of just see him playing really well. And the classic Fritz thing is that he'll play well and then you like generate confidence in him. Yeah. And, and then he'll prove you wrong. And it's just a cyclical process with that guy. So it's like, do you start betting him now or is this where you're kind of like easing off? You don't exactly fade him because you don't know if he's still on his hot streak. But yeah, hot streaks have become like a consistent thing for him. Yeah, no, I think he's got it. I, and I think he finally recovered um, and he gained some serious confidence at Indian Wells. I'm just going to look up his who he's lost to recently. And it's... Besides Novak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chilich in the final. Oh, yeah. Vasilashvili. And then Shapovalov, San Diego. But a Shapovalov can be anyone any day, you know? Like, what he... And then, yeah, I mean, Djokovic in Paris, he's, I, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's top, top 25 right now for sure, playing top 25 level. So I would bet him accordingly to that. Yeah, he's definitely being the guys yeah. he should be, which I think is an underrated uh, uh, trait for guys on tour. A lot of guys don't beat the guys they should beat. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, 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 he was like a blacklist for me earlier this year. Um, I think what was the match he lost? Oh my God! It was against Dennis Kudla. Dennis Kudla came out and just absolutely tuned him. <laughs> and I did not. And Dennis Kudla is one of my good buddies. And every time I bet for or against Dennis Kudla, I lose. I think it's just karma, <laughs> you know. Uh, but you look at that too much. Shocking. And then I texted Kudla after, and he goes, "I was like, yo, like, damn." And he goes, "Love playing Fritz." I was just like, okay good to know yeah i mean it's like uh, i remember when I, I in football practice there were some guys i just got geared up for this guy's not beating me <laughs> like in a yeah. lightman drill or something i imagine that uh some of these americans have a, a chip on each shoulder on their shoulder against each other um get keyed up a little bit more well let's round it out with little paris we have three minutes left on this um before we have to get a new link but uh any quick paris thoughts i know kale you were kind of down on paris as a whole because of the surface uh being so slow and i i thought what you when we spoke on the phone last week you, you kind of nailed it like being up a set in a break means nothing there which i thought was an incredible insight yeah i mean slow courts like that it's just tougher to hold and if you lose that break then you oftentimes lose your confidence and if you get that break back sometimes you get some confidence and so it's 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 tricky um but yeah, like just in general, I mean, you can't hide on a fast court because you don't have time to hide, but on a slow court, you can run around and, you know, find your spots and, you know, find your patterns that work for you. If you hit the ball heavy and deep enough, which they all do because they're pro tennis players. And so it's just, you know, I think just, in, and it could be different for other people, but for me, the, like a super slow court like that, where like your flat strike where you go for a winner isn't a winner. It's just people aren't, you know, that are not that used to playing that unless it's on clay and which is just a whole different ball game. Clay is going to be interesting to see. I don't think any tennis capper had a good uh, clay, clay court season after the pandemic break. <laughs> yeah. Clay's a, a bit unpredictable. And then also I, we should note like, you know, Medvedev and Joker were back and uh, they were in the finals. So <laughs> you know it's like you forget about the top guys but when they come back it's just, it ends up just being the yeah top that guys. was a fascinating match i bet on medvedev and then i watched the beginning and he was he was beating him he's better he's a better player and so then i doubled down like an idiot which you shouldn't overexpose yourself but i thought it was there i thought it was going to happen and then as soon as i clicked bet djokovic started serving volleying and winning all those points, he's turning to Pat Rafter, Pete Sampras, aces and Sir Molly's. And I was just like, okay, like if he keeps doing this, like it's a good strategy. Is he going to really do? And then he won like some, what was it? Like 20, like seven of 31 net points to finish the match. And it was just like, all right, well, don't, maybe just don't bet against Djokovic, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that is a rule of thumb. Yeah. Good rule of thumb. Um, all right, guys. Well, uh, I think that was a pretty amazing uh, conversation about the tennis that was. Uh, we've pretty much nailed October and early November on the ATP tour when it comes to gambling. Let's talk about the tennis that will be. Let's give some people some picks, some plays they can use uh, to finish out the season here. It's wrapping up. It's a bummer. There's only like 
I don't know, a week and a half left. Uh, pretty depressing. Then, then it goes dark for a bit. But uh, the great thing about tennis, it comes right back, which is pretty cool, I think. Part of part of what keeps me interested is that it's always happening. <laughs> yeah, it's the best It's the best sport in the world to bet on. Because, I mean, you get 11 months, not, nothing else like it. And there's so many different things from challengers, the ATP, everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's also like one player, no refs, really. Yeah, the reps can't mess it up. And the automatic line calling is huge, too. Like, players love that. They love the automatic line calling. You know, like, line calls, they, they, yeah, they could challenge, but they don't have challenge. I mean, that absolutely can affect the outcome of a match. Um, but the automatic line calling has been fantastic. I mean, you look at the football game last night, the Bears-Steelers, the guy gets called for taunting. I mean, that was unbelievable. Um, I went full Chris Rock. Um saying I, I i don't i don't approve of death threats to refs <laughs> but i understand <laughs> yeah no that one was betting nfl in general is just so stupid uh, um it's and i do it too you know I'm, that's what i'll have a great week betting tennis and then i'll make sure to lose someone in nfl <laughs> all right well we have uh we have some exciting plays though um in tournaments here to, to wrap up we have uh, atp stockholm uh, we have the next gen finals this week, and then next week is ATP finals. Let's kick it off with ATP Stockholm. I, I know you mentioned already you, you kind of like Taylor Fritz. Uh, is there anything else catching your eye on the board uh, as the week progresses? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's tough. It's tough. I'm gonna pull up the draw here and see. You know, end of years, end of years, always tough. Tough to bet. Like Dan Evans, Fakina, you'd think that Dan Evans would be, you know, would be good to go there. But it's the end of the year. He's a he's kind of a guy. I think he's had a long year. He's had a great year, but then now he's his results haven't really been there. They have not. But then again, you're betting again. You're betting on Fakina, and he's that's typically it's it's typically fun. But you really never know. But with <coughs> so Fakina, kind of kind of mental on hardcore, kind of mental. Yeah, yeah. No, Fakina, I've found, and this this has actually paid major dividends um, before. If, if you're watching him play and he's in an uncomfortable spot and he starts trying to finish the point on his backhand, you know, early, early on first ball, second ball, just pull and trigger on the backhand, throw a small amount against him because that is his sign that he is not comfortable out there because his forehand is his weaker shot, his backhand, he likes his backhand more. Um, and so when he gets the back end, he tries to finish the point on it. Cause that's his more comfortable shot. And that's, yeah. So I think that's actually a pretty good thing to look out for, for him. Um, when he starts pulling trigger on the backhand a little early, he's, he's uncomfortable. I could run through a couple matches. I have the draw right in front of me. I can run down some. So we have Fuchovic playing a uh, BVDZ. I won't, um, risk saying his name, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> he won today, but, um, which I think, uh, I think I already saw it's kind of a pick em matchup uh Fuchovic, i think he had early success on hard court to kick off the year at the beginning of the year before he of course was um reapered over and over by rublev what do you think about that match that Fuchovic is, is, a, is a wild card for me man like you never know he, he has like a lot of you know six one oh six six oh sets that he rips off so i think he's he's a pretty tough guy um to bet in general you know i really have no idea on that one and then mm -hmm. we we have uh, Battle of Americans, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, potentially. Yeah, I like, like Fritz in that match. Um, I mean, Paul just got to play so well um, to beat him. And the serve, that's another thing on the serve. Like, Paul's serve, you know, comes and goes, but Fritz is usually pretty solid. Martinez beat uh, Rusevori. He did. And that guy's another guy, Rusevori. I think I might be have to be done betting on him. Oh, I, I, he's on, he's, I, I, I have very low regard for him in terms of the next gen. Yeah, he he just he he loves hitting the back fence. <laughs> he had it was today it was four all thirty all. I needed him to win the. Uh, oh, Gaston is playing amazing right now. This is not good for my quarterback. <laughs> oh God. Oh well, but yeah, now Rusevori's the guy. He's just like it's it's four all thirty all. Uh, Martinez is serving in the third set, and he and he hits a second serve return off the back fence. I think Martinez is, uh, you know, he profiles as a clay guy, but I think he's got a pretty good all-around game. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, yeah, he's going to be someone that I'm going to target, you know, next year a little bit. If there's there's some decent odds. All right. Well, do we think Sinner's going to win this thing? Um, he's got a pretty good row. He, played, he would play Fritz. 
um but then if you also are, are evan i mean but then the bottom half it's like evans or francis so it's like his toughest road to the final is going to be fritz yeah i think i think you have to i mean he's by far the Ozmaker's favorite to get through that so and then on the bottom it's either like chapo or felix i think yeah i mean sinner is, is obviously the favorite he's so good on indoor hard court Stockholm also, um, I, I appreciate because it's went full times new Roman for the font on the court, uh, as opposed yeah. to the traditional aerial <laughs> bold, um, Derek, any Stockholm thoughts? Yeah, I was watching last night just with the whole Tiafo thing, but like what I really want to see again is Tiafo square up against center again, just to have him hit some more body shots at the net and have center just like complain refusely after the match it was like the first time we've ever seen center actually like come out of his shell and say something to the media that's actually somewhat negative towards anybody i don't know yeah i mean he's super competitive guy i mean he's, he's got the motions he's got the best of him in that one yeah it was pretty funny to watch for myself the thing about center too that i think at least because I, I mean i follow him on social media a little bit but like the dude has a real team which i don't i mean a lot of players do have teams but it seems like He's got a whole package, a whole, um, you know, sort of business he's kind of created around himself, which I think is probably a start, smart strategy in terms of trying to get into the upper echelon of tour players. What do you think about that, Kale? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, he's he's going to, I think he's probably going to be number one in the world. He's amazing. And, you know, you, you can't teach sick timing. He's got sick timing on forehand and backhand to serve, you know, ever, ever, becomes a more consistent weapon i mean the guy's just gonna be he's gonna be guys two and two I mean, he returns so well when he when he sees the return and he's making those returns i mean my god like it's just it's insane the, just the pop he comes back with every time and yeah so, we, I mean, he's one of my favorite players to watch like he's because it's just insane like yeah there's usually a point in the podcast where we just talk about how awesome yannick center is for yeah. a good, good three to five minutes so we'll um, we'll keep it keep it short this time. You've already mentioned you've got some plays going on the next gen finals. Um, what were your thoughts on on that tournament? Uh, any any uh, words of advice or strategy you could give out? Um, obviously, a little bit different of a format. Yeah, I mean, I think I think live, you know, live is is a good way to go for this one. You know, make sure they're playing well and they're just not gonna get boat raced immediately. But look, the, with the way the format is, you get up an early break, you're almost guaranteed to win the set. So I'm not, I don't have, you know, exact advice what to do, but just like, just, you know, be prepared. I don't think we're going to see that many straight set matches in the Sarandolo against Nakashima was a great example. Like Nakashima won by nine games, but he lost a set. He beat him 4-1, lost the second in the tie break, and then 4-1 and 4-0. So like, that's a two out of three set match on an indoor hard court. You know, Nakashima wins that 6-1, 6-4, but you know, yeah. with the way the format is, you know, these guys are able to sneak sets in. And also Alcaraz, I mean, Jesus Christ, the way Alcaraz played today. And Alcaraz, is, I watched him at the U.S. Open. He's going to be number one in the world, too. And he's the biggest freak athlete, I think. I've, like, the Nadal comparison for him is so unfair, you know, so unfair yeah. results and expectations-wise. But when you're looking at it from, like, an athletic prospect standpoint, I mean, he name one player since Nadal that has been a better – you know, and more explosive 18 year old athletic prospect. Like, I mean, the guy's forehand is punishing. Like, I think he could literally hit it through a freaking wall. No, it's his backhand harder than most people's serves, too. I mean, it's just the guys and speed, too. Like, when he's at the back of the court and someone hits a drop volley, like, he's there. Like, whether he makes it or not, I don't know, but he's there every time. Like, I tweeted this out today. Like, I believe that he's the fastest guy on the tour already. And you can't convince me otherwise, you know. Obviously, uh, no one's touching peak Monfi, but right now, I think, you know, from back fence to, like, the net post getting a drop, I mean, he's the fastest guy. Just pure speed, I think there is right now. Is he, like, the strongest 18-year-old person in the entire world or what? No, it's insane. <laughs> it's like his genetics itself are just insane. It's insane. It's insane. His, like, his quad muscles and his veins popping out of his arms and stuff, It's it's – you, uh, you wonder if he's really 18. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it terrifies me. Yeah. But then he makes some, some decisions on the court. You're like, oh, he's definitely 18. 
<laughs> yeah. It's the only thing that shows he, his brain I mean, muscles. He, the only thing that doesn't grow as big as his forearms. Yeah. Yeah. His only real situation with Juan Carlos Ferreira. I mean, he's been with him for a while, and like that's it's a pretty good guy to have in your corner. That guy's seen a lot of stuff. The thing about the next gen finals too, pretty top heavy. Um, the bottom, uh, the bottom of that eight, uh, a bunch of dudes that racked up points on clay challengers and clay, <laughs> and clay no, stuff. They're coming off, you know, twenty five consecutive tournaments on clay, and then now they're <laughs> playing on an indoor hardcore. You can see the lights shining on the surface. It's extremely fast. So initially, you know, I was going to be like, well, yeah, just just fade the South Americans, no problem. Yeah. But then that backfired too, because really the only bet on Nakashima, because a lot of books aren't offering spreads, was the three yeah. zero set bet, and then that, you know, and then you lose a lot on that, and it's just it's it's uh it's tough. All right, well, let's uh, talk about the real ATP finals real quick. Uh, it's the last term of the year, big yeah. the Big Daddy tournament. Uh, we got all the top guys there. This is my first question. Will Hubie or Casper Rude win a match unless it's against each other? <laughs> yeah, no, that's you're right on it with that one. Um, I mean, I think yes, because like Rublev is just not playing well. Huh. And and I think Rublev's just fatigued. I mean, his schedule is not ideal, how many tournaments he's playing. And so I think, yeah, if one of them gets I think one <laughs> I think either of them can beat Rublev, especially Hubie with the way Rublev plays. Cause Hubie is a guy he's interesting. He, he loves like, you know, playing defense. He really does. He's six yeah. foot five, huge server, get out of jail free card, but he plays his best tennis when he's reacting corner to corner. And then he hits that amazing sliding backhand pass. So I think he's an interesting guy, but yeah, my, my strategy going into ATP finals from five years past watching it is, when people get there for the, when they're playing it for the first time, um, the first match is always interesting, but then like the, it's just, it, there's, there's nothing else like it, you know, like you, every player you play is top eight in the world. And I think a lot of the guys, they get there for the first time and they're just like, Jesus Christ. Like I get, you know, I go, I go Medvedev and Djokovic. Then now like, they're just like, this is insane. Yeah. I, I just think that Rublev is probably the only guys or the only guy that Huber Hercats or Rude can beat. And I don't even think Rude can beat him because Rude's what? Oh, for whatever against top 10 opponents on hardcore. Yeah. And he, uh, so it's like, I don't even see him doing that. Like out of like Sitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, Zverev, like he's only won one of those matches. And that was on clay. It was against Sitsipas too. Yeah. Uh, and so, the, the court, the court surface is so huge for him too. Like if he's not getting that grit where his forehand, you know, explodes off the court, mm -hmm. his heavy top spin, you know, actually doesn't do that, do that much and kind of slows it down. Yeah. He'll be an interesting, interesting, interesting guy to bet against, but he's been, he's been so good all year. It's just tough. It's like, it's right on that fine line of like, Really? You, yeah. you want to fade him but then again like he's been so good but yeah like a slick hard court it's just does not help his game whatsoever whereas a, a gritty slow hard court like the one in paris and like you know indian wells and stuff amplifies so they, his game they did say that the court at turin is modeled after the one in paris too or vice versa it's like the paris um, one yeah, was that'll be interesting i mean if it's a super if it's a super slow hard court rude rude's gonna be okay but like the matchup versus Zverev, like if Rude ends up facing Zverev at the World Tour Finals, like I think Zverev's going to beat the crap out of him. Yeah, for sure. Rude, like Rude, Rude almost looks got him slow. in Paris. Yeah, he almost got him in Paris. It's just a terrible matchup because Casper rips to corners. Like I said earlier, if Zverev's playing a guy who rips to corners, like the guy's six six, moves like a gazelle, and he hits the ball huge, <laughs> and he's solid off his backhand's incredible. Like. Inside oh, so out forehand doesn't bother him at all. He loves it. He just leans on it, rips it cross, gets Casper to hit a backhand, and then it's just it's a bad bad matchup for Rude. So that's one I think to target if Rude ends up playing Zverev because he played him pretty close in Paris. I, I think that one could be a beatdown. Yeah, yeah, it was close, but I still lost money on the spread on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing with uh, Rude for me is like he he does every player ranked below him. Like, I mean, he owns them, but then, so you're looking to maybe bet him on, you know, as a dog when he plays these, uh, you know, top 10 players, but he's getting smoked every time. Yeah. So and that, I, that is, that's been one of my, probably my most profitable strategy all year is an initial spread bet on rude 
And then when you see that he has a clear matchup advantage from the ground, I'm just hammering that spread button every time. Like if the guy holds, just if you see it, like against Marcos Giron was a perfect example. Like if I, if I didn't get that match last week, I would have had a bad week, but that one, like I hit the spread four times just because Marcos, Marcos rolls his backhand and he rolls his backhand and then Casper gets a forehand every single time. And then if you can't, you can't let him get forehands. You just can't, it's too good. And so that one, and he was hitting his backhand down the line well too. So Marcos was totally screwed. And he does that all the time. Like you see him in the first couple games when he finds that advantage from the ground and the other guys struggling, they either have to go for broke and they start missing or it's just like he, he wins so many matches, six, three, six, three. And that covers the initial spread bet and it covers the second spread bet. I love it. Uh, we'll finish up with one final question. Is anyone going to be Djokovic at the ATP finals uh, in terms of the title? Oof. I, I just can't. You just can't like, you know, you just joke. You just can't like bet against them. I mean, it's just dumb. Like just, I, just enjoy the tennis. It's just, I'm Medvedev could beat him, but like, I think Medvedev, Medvedev's going to be like Djokovic. Yeah. He's not going to serve him by like, like Pat Rafter, Pete Sampras two times in a row. Like that's bullshit. Like, yes, he's a, a God and he can do it, but like, no way. Now that Medvedev will be prepared for that strategy. I think Medvedev will get him, you know, from the ground. I think he can outlast them and, and hit those shots. But like that was dude, the volleys he was hitting were just insane. Over yeah. and over and over and over again. And the Medvedev finally was Medvedev finally was like, all right, you're too good. You got I, me. I think team took out Djokovic last year. The team obviously not around this year. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, what I mean, what do you think Sitsipas is gonna do? No, I think he's struggling a little bit. I think Sitsipas might be ready to pack it up too. And he he won it. He won it two two years ago. Yeah. 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 So I mean, yeah, I I think that uh I think I think that he's, got, he's working on his photo blog and indoor like his backhand return is just <laughs> it's just not cutting it you know against big servers on the quick courts it just hasn't been cutting it he's more year. he's more Steve the Hawk right now than he is Stefanos yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and he just bailed out of Paris last week too for an right. injury so we don't yeah. even know what condition he's, he's in I think Sitsipas is going to be a good a good fade yeah, if, he, if he's got a good spread, if he's like a heavy favorite, you know, against Hercatch or something, if he's like minus two and a half, three and a half, I think that'd be a good bet for Hercatch. Yeah. Hercatch's flat out wide serve is so good. Man, all right, we need Corda to win this tie break. <laughs> well, known, man. I know he's fucking, where was he all year? Like, you see the talent and then he's gone. And then, all right. No, it's true because he, you know, he had that splash at the French Open last year, which was because the French Open was like later on exactly. the calendar. So, like, yeah, where was he? It's, so now we know. Yeah. Another tidbit. Yeah. I just don't, don't fade Gaston at the end of the year. Jesus. <laughs> Seriously. All right. Well, on that note, we'll let you get to this tie, the sweat, this tie break out. Uh, this has been incredible, Kale. Um, yeah. I mean, this is just. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. You can, <laughs> or joining us rather. Um, you can find him at Kale underscore Hammond on Twitter. And uh, he's got plenty of tennis advice and writing ahead of him. So make sure you find out what he's doing next. Uh, Derek, thank you. Uh, as always, you can find our show at MP9 Tennis on Twitter as well. And um, yeah, until next time, see you on the court. Awesome. Thank you guys so much.